Hello and welcome to Season 7, Episode 13 of the Gooners Podcast. Today we're thrilled to welcome to the podcast probably the smartest guest we've ever had on the podcast. Just barely edging out the previous smartest guest we've ever had, the one and only Lee Gunner. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, Stephen Hawking. What a show that was. Tonight we come to you live from Haddonfield, Illinois. It's going to feel like Halloween because we're handing out candy. Not just any candy, but the best kind of candy football finance candy so if you can make it through the next 84 second intro you'll be watching the gunners pod once upon a time way back when there were only 9,000 arsenal podcasts five young men from various backgrounds an irish kid with a horrible haircut a young jewish nerd who hadn't discovered food yet a child from hemel Hempstead who didn't want to be english no more a handsome advertising magnate with impeccable judgment and a young Mexican AC Milan fan hatched a plan to take over the world of Arsenal podcasts. But then these boys became men. Jared, Mikey, Ewan, Magic, and Andy. And the rest, my friends, is history. And now, all these years later, you tune in every so often to hear their incredible takes, their football knowledge, and their sensual advice. But now, it's gone too far. You, our fans, are at long last witness to season... Seven! 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 Welcome to The Gooners Pod. Hello and welcome to the Gooners Podcast. It, it's a crime that I have Kieran McGuire on with me for an hour, and I spent a minute and a half of that with that video. Um, but I just didn't want to let the listener down. Uh, was that the craziest thing you've ever seen, Kieran? Yeah, I thought, man, alive. I've take, been taking some mushrooms. <laughs> I, we, we, we've had people just surreal. log off and, 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 and just bail out of the show during the video. So I appreciate that you've made it this far, but that's about as bad as it's going to get tonight. So Welcome to another episode. I, I really want to uh, just get right to it because I'm really, really excited about today's guest. Um, breaking his Arsenal podcast, Duck. He is an award-winning lecturer in the areas of accounting, finance, and currently football finance at the University of Liverpool, which recently has been much more successful than the University of Arsenal, I have to say. <laughs> uh, he's also the author of the award-winning book, The Price of Football. He's the creator and author of the award-winning website, priceoffootball.com he's the co-host of the award-winning podcast the price of football and he was called not by me because he's much more handsome than the award-winning dustin hoffman the rain man of football finance welcome to the non-award-winning gooners podcast karen mcguire thanks very much mike i'm looking forward to this should be fun i even i even to to show a bit of love for arsenal stuck out a very rude tweet about spurs a few hours ago so i hope hope that was appreciated oh we we appreciate anything that we can get at this moment um and uh, you know the we we'll talk about it a little bit later but i believe uh your your football fandom uh goes down to brighton uh from your earlier years is that is that about is that right do i have that that's that's absolutely correct i was born in london but uh i moved to brighton when i was 11 with my with my dad and uh having having a football club on on your doorstep that that was it that's that's hooked for life and that's that's the way football should be as far as i'm concerned you, whereabouts you in the pyramid was brighton at the time at the time we were in the third division uh we were quite a quite a well quite an interesting club brian clough we had as manager where when, when he'd just been sacked by uh, another club uh, he was uh, he was the the best manager of all time. Never to was that after directly after Nottingham Forest or or that, no that was uh, that was directly after Derby County and before he went to Leeds and before he went to Forest. But he he'd, he'd won the he'd won the equivalent of the Premier League with uh, uh, with Derby County, which is you know uh, 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 like Brighton, small provincial team um, but, and a club uh, you've been talking teams. about a lot lately. <laughs> Yes. on your uh, on your podcast due to their situation so so i'm i'm a self-confessed football finance geek uh, i love peeking behind the curtain and having a better idea of you know of what's happening why certain things happen with football clubs 
Um, you know, it takes some of the emotion out of it, which I know isn't popular for, for, for some people, but for me, it's almost like I need the, you know, the, the building to hang on to when the wind is blowing so that I know, you know, exactly what's happening and why, uh, I'm embarrassed though. If, if, you know, for those of you that were here for the entrance, I, I, you know, we had a little miscommunication on the timing of this podcast when we were organizing it, because at first I said, you know, 9 PM UK time, um, assuming based on what I knew about Karen, that he was both English and located in England, which is the case. But I got a little worried when I looked at his Twitter profile and saw Haddonfield, Illinois, and had no idea what that was in reference to, because I just, there's a lot of really famous movies that I just never got around to watching. Um, so suddenly I'm like, well, if you're in Illinois, that it's going to be three o'clock uh, central time and, and immediately felt pretty silly and uh and and i appreciate you taking it easy on me for not catching not catching that uh, it's not a problem at all i'm i i love movies uh halloween uh, the original halloween by john carpenter uh, is my favorite movie of all time and uh, that takes place in the fictional town of haddonfield illinois uh so i thought the, the least thing i can do is to is to sneak in a uh, a halloween reference which nobody's ever going to spot yeah. And I, you know, on our Twitter profile, I think it says that we were born on May 26, 1989 and, and people are, you know, which is a pretty famous date to me um, and to many Arsenal supporters, but I always get people saying, you know, Oh, you're 34. I've only, you know, uh, I've been much longer Arsenal fan than you have. And I'm just like, that's not actually my birthday. Um, anyway. So before we get to the, to the nitty gritty of things, um, and given how you've named almost all of your media endeavors, you know, the, the price of football, um, I would assume that you know the answer to this. What is the price of football, like like an actual football these days? Uh, it depends which one you want. If you want to buy well, the, the latest Nike-approved Premier League football, you're, you're probably talking somewhere in the region of £120, which is, what, you know, 160, uh, 160 bucks. Uh, yeah, let me, let, let, me, let me take this off so we can see what... Uh, oh, you, you, you nailed it. Um, Sports Direct, the highest priced single football that I could find was 130 quid, and um, and and the least was. Uh, and I'm not even sure that this comes with the air, uh, <laughs> but it was four quid. Wow. So um, just shows you, just like football clubs, price of football could be either very low or very high, depending on how you look at it, and and depending on the quality that you're looking for. So. I think what makes you so attractive to people, uh, you know, who are not perhaps so much financial experts um, is that you're very good at making complicated subjects much more relatable to the common person. And that, I think, probably traces back to, you know, to you being a, a teacher and a lecturer, correct? I mean, you kind of do that for a living. I, I am. I'm also not very clever. So therefore, I need to be able to explain things to myself. Um, <laughs> and, and, that, and that helps. You know, I, I work with uh, some incredibly gifted professors and I sit in rooms and meetings with them and they talk and they use a language. And I go, well, you know what you're talking about. Everybody else in the room is nodding apart from me. So I just assume I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I'm I assume that I'm the dumbest person in the room. So therefore I just try to explain things to myself. Well, it's a good thing to assume, but I'm sure it's not true very often. Um, so it's true for me most of the time, but um, you know, the, the success of your book, which you've called uh, very expensive and hard to find or something like that, um, is, is that it's far from a nerd manual for, you know, for insiders. Uh, it, it's something that's accessible. It's understandable to the football fan at large. And I highly recommend, um, you know, going out and getting it. I've, I've, I, I can't claim to have read it from cover to cover, but I certainly have looked through uh, and and seeing what it's about and the chapters are are amazing and there's one that I absolutely love that I'll I'll mention a little bit later. Um, two more questions before we dive into the specifics. Why are football finance experts disproportionately named Kieran? I mean, for <laughs> those for those that don't know, and I'm not I'm not giving a last name, I'm not giving any other details, but but Swiss Ramble's name has been publicly known as as being Kieran. Your name is Kieran. Kieran Tierney actually has been faking injuries so that he could brush up on football finance a little bit more over the last couple of years. What what is going on here? I, I'm not sure. I, I think we uh, perhaps perhaps it's just people from uh, Irish heritage 
uh, who who have had parents who have encouraged them to go into education. It, it turns out that, uh, that that the other Kieran, Swiss Ramble, uh, and I used to attend the same concerts in the in the late seventies and early eighties. Uh, he then went off to Milan. Yeah, he's been an incredibly successful individual. He's somebody I really look up to. Uh, because he he can speak four languages, he 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 goes into more depth than I do. Um, I probably cover a broader range of of English clubs than he does, uh, simply because I've, I've ended up being on the the end of lots of telephone calls to to individual clubs. The other Kieran far smarter than that. He uh, he he's too busy being successful to uh, <laughs> to have to deal with the things that I deal with, uh, and and he's he's got a very successful career in Zurich. Which which is not related necessarily directly to the volunteer work he essentially does for the public at large through social media. I mean, those, you know, I, I know from from reading interviews with with him, and I'm sure that yours are the same way because of, of how you you know the West Brom tweet that you sent out right before the show. It, you know, it's a format in which you clearly have existing databases and spreadsheets and so on that you can continue to add to i'm just starting out in that in that area uh of doing that but it does make things a lot easier when you have to quick recall something and that what you mentioned about the broad knowledge actually was my second question which is you know out of the 92 football league teams how many of those teams could you immediately speak up speak about with confidence fully informed about their financial situation their balance sheets not to the number but the but the you know the health of them or the concerns about them how they've been funded uh, I mean, I heard on your podcast, you know, Rochdale just came out of the blue and you were like, I mean, you know, clubs, oops, sorry, clubs like that. Uh, is it all 92? Is it more than that? Is it less? I I monitor all 92 in the Premier League and the EFL. I monitor all of the Scottish clubs. So there's 44 there. I monitor all of the clubs in, in what we call the, the non-league, the, the National League and the National League North and South. So there's another 60. So it's probably around about 200 clubs mm. in, in England and Scotland that I uh, I keep up to date on in, in terms of, of tracking uh, documentation, tracking records. Um, I've got Google alerts on every single club. So are you married? Uh, <laughs> uh, the Baroness I, I, much, must not. Uh, I, I, that's a lot of a lot of keeping track of things there. It it is. Uh, it has uh, it, it has become all consuming. If if, if I'm honest, but uh, I've I'm, myself and, and my my co-host Kevin on, on on the Price of Football podcast. People that know Kevin, he, Kevin's Kevin's a stand-up comedian. So working with him for me is is fantastic therapy. I, I get I get two hours of uh, stand-up uh, contact oh, a week and and also before we start each show sure. all of the stuff about famous people who he's worked with comes out so um yeah it's it's, it's hard work but uh i think it is rewarding and we have had some successes in, in identifying club owners who have been behaving in an appropriate way and we've managed to get some results on the back of that simply by being honest open transparent all the things that we believe in terms of good governance um is actually a good way of, of showing up people who are doing wrong things absolutely and and um and and you know i have an affinity for a couple of very small clubs one in england one in england one in scotland namely sutton united and cowdenbeath uh, so we'll, <laughs> there's a story behind each one, but but I'm not going to go there during this podcast. Hopefully, if we have a, a chance to chat again, we can dig deep more, more deep into those. Um, uh, and uh, so let's let's talk a little bit about how how um, you know the Arsenal L element of this, because obviously this is an Arsenal podcast, and you know everyone tends to ask ownership, you know, why don't they just spend some effing money and everyone wants Arsenal Football Club to be run, you know, not like a sustainable business, but like a, you know, a, a business. And I'm using that word intentionally and kind of understandingly that 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 people don't like it when I when, when people talk about it as a business. But that's the whole point um, that, you know, a, a football team is one of the only business entities in the world who is a business has to account like a business has to report like a business um, where there's not this expectation that the club maximize value for its shareholders, but, but maximize value for its quote unquote customers. 
Um, and, and so it's a unique situation and there's a lot of different ways of approaching it. And this brings me to your, your, you know, your, your chapter in your book and, and the, and the article that you've written on your website, four reasons a person or entity buys a, a Premier League or really any football club. And, and if you know, tell us what those four reasons are, cause it's brilliant. Um, love, profit, vanity, and insanity uh, are the four <laughs> reasons to buy a football club. And, uh, we, we see that in, 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 I think you could probably look at every club on a scale of zero to 10 and you could see, you can start to place clubs uh, on, on that. Um, and I think in the case of Arsenal, uh, yeah, we're, we're probably, uh, as far as the owners are concerned, there's a lot in profit. There's uh, pretty close to zero in, in terms of love. Uh, yeah, vanity, I think, would be quite high on the scale and insanity quite low. And that means that uh, Arsenal are second uh, in the table of the the most profitable clubs in the history of the Premier League since it started in 1992, because the owners have have focused on a financial return on investment as opposed to those clubs where the return on investment is viewed through the through the lens uh, of of, uh, of of the fan base in terms of trying to deliver trophies, and and it's very difficult to to reconcile those two models. Uh, because the the two uh, the two clubs I think that you would associate with uh, owners who are in it for a giggle, who who are the you know who who historically have been the two biggest sugar daddies in English football, Sheikh Mansour at Manchester City and uh, mm-hmm. Roman Abramovich at Chelsea. Uh, you know, twelve months ago, those two clubs were in the Champions League final, playing each other. Uh, Manchester City have won. The Premier League four years out of the last five. Chelsea have won the Premier, the Champions League on two occasions. They've won the, Pre- the Premier League on four or five occasions since Abramovich uh, acquired the club. And they've, they've delivered in terms of the return on investment that they were seeking. That And, and it's, it's, and it makes you assume that it's an automatic between spending money and winning. There are lots of teams, and we'll talk about it a little bit, that are spending a lot of money and and not winning and and hurting themselves in the process and so you know it really does come down to you know wh- i guess how much you are willing to truly lose before you cut the cord but but that goes off on a, on a slightly different tangent so let's let's talk about kind of the two ways because ownership investment is a hot topic especially within arsenal especially having to do with stan Kroenke. before i dip into that i'm going to quickly address something in the chat room about a show that uh, that I was part of on Monday night, not on this channel, but on another channel um, that was taken down based on something and not having anything to do with the show itself, uh, but a small segment of it. Uh, I'm trying to get them to put the show up with that part uh, clipped out. That's all I'm going to say on the matter. Uh, but uh, I appreciate uh, people being interested and curious about it. So uh, back to the, to the discussion. So there's two ways of personally investing in a football club uh personally rather than using you know an outside entity like a bank or so on the first is issuing stock in the company which is essentially investing further funds into the company or in some cases recapitalizing existing debt uh into equity making it something that is no longer having to be paid back to its investor would would you say that's a good that's an accurate description absolutely uh equity investment um I think for for many owners of football clubs, uh, an equity investment is it is a bit like uh, it's a bit like being the bank of mum and dad. Um, you're you're never going to see the money again, but you're hoping it's going to be put to some good use. And quite often, you find it isn't. Except you don't. Ch- except you generally speaking, you don't end up selling your kids in the long run. But uh, <laughs> but but no, that's a great way of putting it. I never thought about it that way. You know, I always look at it as yeah, they're putting in money. They're free and clear to be able to do that. They're essentially giving it to the club, but how does it impact the club on the way out? Uh, now, we never got the chance to see that with Chelsea in the reality of the market situation because of what happened there. Um, whether we end up seeing that out of Manchester City or not, who knows? But, you know, what is the, I mean, we've seen clubs do it. Manchester City's famous for doing that. Everton's done that uh, with, with Mashiri. Uh, both equity and debt. Fulham's done it quite a bit in in capitalizing outstanding loans. Um, is there is there any reason other than to just simply give your money, give your money, 
give your club more of your money to spend uh presumably on either you know expansion new stadium or players to win there there can potentially be some tax benefits depending upon your your tax status your tax domicile but i, th- I think those are relatively minor issues because football clubs as a rule don't pay tax and the reason for that is that in order to pay tax uh yeah you have to make profits we, we don't tax revenue yeah we, we're not socialists here are we so we, we, we tax we tax profits not revenue uh and therefore that there doesn't tend to be a significant tax issue arising um sometimes it, it will be cautioned by the owner that they'll initially put money into the football club in the form of debt uh, and with a, with a view to perhaps taking out some of it at a later date, but if if they can, they'll they'll then convert it into into equity shares, which, as you rightly said, Mike, means that they that the those those equity shares never have to be repaid. If you want to recoup money from equity, you need to find somebody else to take those shares off your hands. Right, and and you know, I was actually surprised to find out. I just assumed that Manchester's. I mean, what Manchester City did essentially was get out ahead of financial fair play, and pour almost a, almost or possibly just about a billion pounds into the club, initially as debt over three years, which I assumed was interest free debt like Romans. Wrongly, yeah. uh, then capitalized it all into uh, equity so that it really never had to be paid back in in 2013, just as uh, FFP went into place. But apparently, that debt was issued at 10% interest, um, which just which surprised me to read um, that you know it wasn't interest free debt, but it really didn't matter what the interest rate was for too long because they knew what they were going to be doing and recapitalizing that into uh, you know and and since then. On the outside, I, I would say they've become, for the most part, self-sustaining because of the success they've had on the pitch. If you don't include the, and this is me saying this, not you, the cheating that they've done in commercial revenues, um, and and gotten away with. So, um, so yeah, I mean, they they they're a club that essentially built their dominance with with good timing, in the sense that there weren't really financial restrictions in play yet, and their heavy investment working and resulting in titles i think people don't realize how important that kunaguero goal was at that point because that oh, was their first yeah. i mean it, it was not only the second most exciting final uh day of the premier or of the first of the top tier season of all time but uh it put them on the map and and without that they would have probably just had to cheat more in order to get to where they were um again my opinion not necessarily yours um so if the Cronkies, let's bring that back to them. If the Cronkies wanted to invest in the club, they could do so with equity, which would be the truest definition of investing their own money, but also kind of the truest definition of not operating in a self-sustaining matter. Is that, I mean, is that pretty accurate? Um, not necessarily. Uh, certainly, if they put in equity, the good thing is is that the club receives cash, and that cash never has to be repaid. Now, if that if that cash is used to cover operational losses, then then I agree with you. It, it's effectively subsidising a lack of sustainability. If that money is invested in infrastructure, uh, you know, expansion of the stadium, improvement of training facilities, uh, improvement of the academy, then uh, it, it it doesn't uh, it, it doesn't impact upon profitability as such. Um, and, and, it, and it's kept off the uh, it's, it's kept off your profit and loss again. So it, uh, the, the destination of the cash is is critical. Um, you know, we, we do see some clubs where the owners will. And I think Chelsea are a classic example when Abramovich first joined the club that he just wrote out checks left, right, and centre. There was no financial fair play. There was no form of cost control. And and he blew uh, the, the Premier League out of the water in, in terms of its expectations. You know, the, the, Chelsea, the Chelsea wage bill doubled in in you know twenty four months, which is which is unheard of for any mature business, which which isn't actually expanding its revenues. Yeah, and 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 one of the things we talked about, which you covered in a podcast a couple of weeks ago, but I also had asked you preliminarily because I was getting ready to have a discussion. Uh, in a podcast that I just referred to on Monday night, but uh, you know there was a period, and this is often debated amongst Arsenal fans. There was a period from about 2009 
2009 to 2018, where Stan Kroenke owned anywhere from the plurality of the shares, in other words, the largest but not 50%, then became the majority owner but not 75%, uh, until you know seven years of stalemate with uh, Red and White Holdings and Usmanov uh, finally ended in 2018. And my question for you was, you know, could they have, first of all, could they legally have issued equity during the time where they were 67% owners and given their own money to the club? Um, and the answer to that, if I'm, if I'm correct, is that they could have, but because they didn't own 75%, they would have essentially, the first person to be able to buy extra shares would have been Alisher Usmanov in a way of keeping his 30% ownership proportion. Is that that, that that's right so for uh, let's assume it was a 70 30 split and what would have had to have happened is that for for every uh, every seven shares that were being issued to Stan Kroenke uh, Alicia Usmanov would have been given the option he wouldn't have been obliged to do so he'd been the he'd been given the option on what we refer to as preemption rights to buy three shares as well so that would have simply meant that uh, you know, the pie would have got bigger uh, but they would still have the same proportion of the pie of, of Arsenal um, Stan Kroenke didn't want to go down that route because he didn't want to put more money into Arsenal Football Club. Uh, I, I think uh, if uh, if Usmanov had been given the opportunity to buy more shares himself to increase his stake in Arsenal, he would have quite happily done that. Uh, you know, you've only got to see uh, what he's done at Everton subsequently. Uh, indirectly to to know that he's he's certainly got the ability to spend money. Stan Kroenke's got the ability to spend money for him. It's 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 a it's a choice decision, right? And and um, you know, and 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 had he owned seventy five percent or more of the shares, he then would not have had to have offered the 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 right to uh, to Usmanov to to keep his proportion, or would he still have had to? No, no, he he still he still would have had to. It it comes down to the club's internal constitution, what's known as the Articles of Association, and uh, when you get to ninety percent, you you then are quite often given the opportunity to buy out the other shareholders um, at, uh, at at the price which which you've paid to, for yourself to get to ninety percent. So. Um, there's 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 a lot of complication in, involved yeah. in in the rather arcane system of of English corporate law. So so one curious question I have, and this is going to be a matter of opinion, uh, but we also should learn something from your answer, which is, if Kroenke had decided to issue shares, let's say in 2013, he wants to buy Usmanov out. We all know that, but Usmanov is refusing to sell. He, he's holding on to his 30 percent um, for various reasons. Um, if Kroenke had decided to go the route of, of of increasing the number of shares and Usmanov had the ability to purchase them, would there have been a situation where it just would have kind of forced Alisher Usmanov's hand in saying, you know what, I'm, I'm going to be putting more and more money in to have the same proportion of ownership in this club, and I'm not convinced because I'm not on the board and I don't control where that money goes that it's going to make the team any better, so I'm, I'm, I'm not going to buy these shares. Is there a point at which that could have been a strategy, an expensive one, but possibly less expensive than it ended up being years later to actually have to, to pay 34,000 pounds a share uh, or more to Alisher Usmanov to finally get rid of him? Um, it, it, I, I agree with you. It'd be a, it would be very expensive. Um, and uh, you know, Usmanov at the time was was going to all of the minority shareholders and, and trying to buy a few shares here, a few shares there. He bought out Farhad Mashiri uh, and, and the yeah. proceeds of that Mashiri used to buy Everton. Um, it, it, it was clear that there was uh, there was not a meeting of minds between Usmanov and uh, and Kroenke, and, and therefore it became a, you know, a a classic corporate battle uh, where Kroenke had had the upper hand at all times uh every time that uh Usmanov tried to get on the board of directors of Arsenal he was given a polite no and uh that that ultimately led to him realizing he wasn't going to get any further and, and offering to sell his shares to Stan Kroenke to just stop being a pest another opinion question from an out from an outsider who's not an Arsenal supporter per se but knows a lot about how the club's been run um do you think 
that there was any, and I, I've I've expressed my opinion on this, but I'm not afraid to real, you know, to be told that I'm probably wrong about it either. Do you think that during that time period, where, you know, in the light of the stadium debt being so substantial, and this wasn't stadium debt that that Kroenke initiated, he he bought the debt as part of buying Arsenal when he did. Um, do you think that the transfer policy, the the selling the best player every year to raise funds to pay off debt? the kind of always just trying to slide into the top four, but never really going that extra mile, the things that have frustrated Arsenal supporters in that, in that entire decade of, of the 2010s um, that Usmanov ultimately tried to get, you know, PR saying I would have done the opposite. Do you think that that boiled down to the fact that Kroenke owned 67% of the team and not 100% and without knowing what Kroenke's mind was thinking at the time, I mean, do you think things might have been different if it wasn't the one top six club that wasn't 100% or at least 85% owned by one entity? I'm not so certain uh, about that because I, I honestly feel that Stan Kroenke was actually quite happy with the with the position. He, he knew that he could not outgun Abramovich and Mansour when it came to spend. So therefore, what should the strategy be? Well, the strategy should therefore be to maximise revenues. Um, he was convinced with it that with uh, Arsene Wenger, he had a manager who could deliver Champions League participation. And that was the extent of his ambitions. Um, he was still making, you know, he was breaking even, uh, you know, in, in, in most years, uh, not all years. Um, and that, that worked until... Benger left the, well, not saying the wheels fell off, but uh, thing, things were starting to unravel um, on a football level. And look, I'm a football fan. I know nothing about football. I, I, I'm okay with the spreadsheet uh, on finances, but but I don't really understand football because it's... That's uh, pretty much it, where, I'm, where I'm at as well. I think yeah. people would probably agree. <laughs> um, so in terms of the decisions, it, it, it did appear that the club was... Uh, had become uh, had, had no longer become a destination club. You know, I, I think that Manchester United is a destination club. Lots of people go there and stay there for a long time. Uh, now, that's partly due to the fact that Manchester United pay wages, which are are, are not mark are not matched by other clubs. Um, Arsenal, in terms of wages, have uh, have historically been quite competitive. And what we've seen over the course of the last six or seven years is that competitive edge or that competitive element has uh, has been diluted. Um, and, and that's an operational decision made by Stan Kroenke. Um, and for part of that period, 67%, for part of that period, he had 100%. So we've, we've not seen a change in strategy since he's bought out Usmanov. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm not quite sure what to make of Kroenke. You know, he's called silent stand for a reason. And uh, that, that doesn't help anybody to assess what his objectives and, and goals are as far as the club is concerned. No, I, I think the, the, the bulk of the fan base that has hope under this ownership is that the ownership will essentially be in the hands of Josh Kroenke. Mm-hmm. And I think people are starting at this point because that, that really was the case three years ago. And unfortunately, I don't think we've seen as much evolution of him diverging from his father's style. Uh, in fact, he has said in, in interviews uh, that he's given uh, that, you know, they are in lockstep. What I say is what he says. What he says is what I say, which I think is the wrong way to go. Given, I think it's a complete misreading of the of the of the fans' feelings about their ownership group, and I think he he had a real opportunity and might still in differentiating his ownership of Arsenal from his dad's ownership of Arsenal um, and and stewardship, I guess, of Arsenal that uh, that they have, and and I don't think he's really taken advantage of that, and he's going to end up in the same boat perception wise as his dad is, so. Um, I, I am seeing some good questions in the chat. I'm starring them. We're going to come back to them. I pre- so, so keep, uh, keep asking Karen some of these excellent questions and start them with a cue so I can, I can easily see them. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to say almost what Kroenke's ambitions have been over the last three or four years since he's been the hundred percent owner, because we didn't see that change happen 
when we were not sliding down on the on the uh, competitive level and then COVID hits. So, you know, I, I think a lot of money has been spent. A lot of money has been spent poorly. I see a bit of a, of a, of a more willingness and a more cutting edge to say, you know what, we got to get back into the Champions League and the money's being spent. I, I was always worried when we fell out of the top four, Kieran, that, that you know, what Kroenke was going to do is just reduce payables to match the receivables. And yeah. that's how you become a mid-table club. Uh, you know, you you just you start cutting. Like when a team gets relegated, you have to cut some of your outgoing money. In this case, uh, they didn't. They've just continued to throw money at trying to get back there. And that may not be ambition as much as desperation, you know, to get that revenue back. But uh, I, I just, I think the, the jury's still out on that one. So the other area of of funding a club is through debt. And this is one yeah. I find fascinating. Um, it's more common, I would say, than the equity route. You lend the club owner, I'm sorry, you lend the club money. Uh, it's called owner debt. And rather than you know borrowing from a bank or from bondholders that require you to have collateral security, uh, rather than paying higher interest rates, the owner lends money to the team. How often would you say these these loans are interest free and payable on no real schedule, and how often are they structured like a traditional loan? That they they are normally given in in the form of the benevolent dictator loan. So that was the case with Abramovich. Uh, he he lent Chelsea one point five billion interest free. Uh, the trouble is, you had to go through a uh, a long crumb trail. So there was Chelsea Football Club, which was owned by Chelsea FC PLC, which was owned by a company called Fordstam. Mm -hmm. You then found that Fordstam borrowed money from a Stan Kroenke company, sorry, not from Stan Kroenke, from a Roman Abramovich company uh, called Camberley International, which was based in Jersey, which is a tax haven off, off England. And then in respect of, uh, of that company, it uh, appeared to be controlled by a trust based in Cyprus. For those people not familiar with Cyprus, Cyprus is a European country, it's part of the EU. Um, but uh, I, I teach in Cyprus. Um, if you are Russian, you don't need a visa to get to Cyprus. So it, this isn't being rude. Uh, Cyprus is the money laundering capital of Europe as far as Russian citizens are concerned. Um, so it's 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 complicated, but it was interest free. Um, I I feel like I have to take a shower just listening to that. Like 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 there, there's no way that everything in the world. That, I mean, it, the world can be a zero sum game when it comes to karma and money and such. I you know some people view it a different way, but for all that to be happening to the benefit of people at, at Stamford Bridge jumping up and down and and crying in joy, someone or some large numbers of people have to be suffering in some way, financially, emotionally, otherwise for that to be the case. And it's just, it makes me sick that that's how this all works. I, I just pray for the 50 plus one rule in, you know, in the Premier League, because it's made the Bundesliga into probably the most entertaining, you know, alternative to the Premier League in the world. Maybe not the most talent in one place, but it's just a completely different concept. And, and I just hearing you describe that trail, it's nauseating it, it it does it does make you want to go for a shower i absolutely agree it's uh uh yes the the distribution of the riches of the former soviet union uh to a a small group of people uh has been uh disappointing again again you know i'm i'm fortunate i, I get a chance to to travel around the world and, and i used to teach in russia uh, i then got banned from going to russia for uh various things which uh, I'm, I'm not particularly upset about um but uh it, it's uh it, it's it's this, a wonderful this is normally country. where i would sorry here this is normally like if like for a different type of guest i would i would i would like post a, a ridiculous supposition of what you got banned from russia for on the screen but i'm, I'm just not going to do that for you because we don't oh, know no. each other well enough yet <laughs> but please do i i, I have no it, problem it would whatsoever. be very inappropriate i'm sure uh, that's, that's fine. There's no such thing as too inappropriate as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> you haven't known me very long, but okay. So go. So I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but, but I did anyway. Um, so uh, 
yeah, Abramovich has lent money interest free. Uh, my club, Brighton, we are owned by a, uh, a a local kid who became very successful. Uh, he's pumped in four hundred million of his own money, interest free. He's Tony Bloom. Tony Bloom. He's uh, he he is likeable guy. Uh, I love him. Yeah, you know, I'd take a bullet for him as far as I'm concerned. Oh, <laughs> okay. uh, because of, because what he's what he's brought to to my club to my city, uh, he we, we've gone from the fourth tier of of English football uh, to to beating Manchester United four nil uh, at the end of last season. Now I appreciate that most people could beat Manchester United by the state they were in at the end of last yeah, season. I, I, but, I would take but, a bullet for him for that particular game as well. I mean yeah. that was pretty cool. Uh, that was. You know, in, in in over 50 years of watching us play, the, the most complete performance. Because not only was it 4-0, it was 4-0 and it flattered Manchester United. It should have been 7 or 8. And it was um, at Old Trafford, wasn't it? No, that, that was at the Amex. Oh, that was the home game? Okay. Yeah, so it was one of those things. You, you walk outside and you're hugging complete strangers and you're thinking, what have I just experienced? Yeah, it, yeah it'll, it'll never happen again. But, uh, but, you, but that's the wonderful thing about football is that uh, it may never happen again, but you can never take away that experience. You can never take away those memories. Um, and that's why live sport is what it is, because it gives you um, not only uh, an, an incredible high, but an incredible high that you're sharing with thousands of other people. Um, and and uh, you know, if, if, I'm, if I'm at a party, if I'm at a wedding, uh, and, and I don't like talking to people. I'm, I'm very antisocial. My lead question is, which, what football team do you support? In And I'm praying. It doesn't matter what the team is. It doesn't matter what the team is. If it's a football club, then, then you've got a conversation for the next two hours. Then, then you move on to, uh, you know, what's your favourite Halloween movie and so on. <laughs> well, I'm sure we would just stick on the football because if you asked me the Halloween question, I would, uh, I, I would probably just end the conversation there because I have nothing to add. So when it comes to debt, um so most are the are the are the 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 generous loans the interest-free loans but we know that some are not uh the man city loan initially wasn't but again the intent was there i think even liverpool early on in the fsg phase uh they they there are some of their owner debt was at a very low but still Mm -hmm. an interest rate uh west ham's debt carries an interest rate and is and is paid back um Recently, there's been a, you know, in the last couple of years, the, the Cronkies have refinanced external debt, a bond issue that was connected to the, to the Emirates Stadium, into owner debt. Yeah. Um, with them being a private company, not necessarily having to, you know, provide a, a heck of a lot of details about that. Um, and, um, you know, the, the question is, and, and I've got my own personal views on this, but would you expect, and I have a feeling I know what your answer is going to be, would you expect that that's an interest-carrying loan rather than a non-interest-carrying loan? Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty certain it is. It, it's low interest. It's actually at a more competitive rate than uh, you would expect to pay as far as uh, an external lender is concerned. I mean, Arsenal are a, are a low credit risk. What we have seen uh, over the course of the last decade is, is that the markets, the DCM markets, have have revised their opinion of successful clubs in the Premier League. When, when the Glazer family first acquired uh, Manchester United, they ended up paying uh, PIK loan rates at 14.25%, which is, which is absolutely crazy. That's almost credit card rates. Um, Manchester United and Spurs are, are now paying debt to you know, the likes of, uh, of Goldman and JP and so on. Uh, at around about two and a half to three and three quarter percent. So uh, I, I think Arsenal will be paying a, a low rate uh, to, to the Cronkies and, and everybody wins. The, the Cronkies get a bit of money um, and, and Arsenal makes some cost savings. Yeah. And and um, so when it comes to owner financing, I mean, there's, there's, let me figure out what order to do this. Okay, I'll just I'll, I'll, get, I'll get to the point of this, which is which is a conversation that I, again I, I've recently had with people because there seems to be this desire to just be able to say the Cronkies haven't invested any of their own money in the team, meaning you know over and above profits, not including loans. You know the the the, the definition keeps changing to suit the argument. But, you know, but here's my question to you, as, as far as from an accounting standpoint, 
if you come into a situation and by that i mean a time frame and congratulations to the the lady lionesses i guess uh uh for opening the 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 the, the, uh, the women's euros in great style um but if you come into a situation where you've got 160 million pounds of debt and you're paying bank interest rates on it or bondholder interest rates on it and have and it's securitized money meaning that you have to keep a lot of cash in the bank frozen in that bank to cover the collateral if you do that and then refinance the loan and as has been speculated the lower loan payments the maybe spreading it out over a longer repayment period it takes that month that annual debt financing from maybe 20 pounds 20 million pounds a year down to let's call it 8 million pounds a year mm-hmm. um for for the next 10 years that's refinancing alone and money yeah. is still coming out to the cronkies through interest payments that before was coming out of arsenal in a larger way for interest payments to a bank if instead they simply just left the loans the way they were didn't do a thing to touch them much like you know ex- existing debt at, at, at manchester at manchester united so on and so forth but instead either made an interest-free loan like roman abramovich and others or dumped shares in with the value of 80 million pounds same amount of savings as you would have gotten through the refinance the the headlines there are Cronkies inject their own money into mm-hmm. the club to the tune of eighty million. The headlines in the first ones are Cronky takes advantage of of lower interest rates to refinance debt. Is the impact on the club not the exact same? It, it is. It is. It. it uh, I, I think in terms of public relations, uh, the Cronkies are absolutely oh off. Yeah, they're, they're very not. They're, they're either naive, arrogant, or stupid. Uh, for silent people, everything they say is so easily taken out of context. And after a while, you have to blame that on them. Not mm-hmm. to mention the things that they do are not taken out of context. They're just not smart. Well, you know, you know there's, there's the two of us, Mike, and then there's the billionaire Cronky. So I, I, I can't. You, know, oh, you don't know. You don't know what I'm involved in. No, true, 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 true. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm a teacher. I'm on a teacher's salary. I'm, I'm a little bit way behind Stan. Yeah, I know. No one's saying that they're not smart from a from a business standpoint. They're yeah, yeah, not, yeah. Not, not they're not making any friends. Which you know, this is this is a business where you kind of probably want people to not hate you, if not like you. But but again, as so th- those two acts, one of which they've just done, the other of which you would almost never see them do, are substantially the same in every single way from a beneficial standpoint to the club and a beneficial standpoint to the Cronkies, right? I mean, it's six of one, half a dozen of the other. Well, it's actually more beneficial if they'd issued the shares because owner injections count towards financial fair play and, and debt doesn't. So yeah, there's, there's, there's double bubble as far as uh, benefiting the club uh, from a profitability and sustainability perspective. You know, the more money you put in, in the form of shares, the, uh, the the more resource you have to invest in in the playing squad and, and what we're seeing. So that's the difference. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I, but but I mean, who's going to leave a higher interest rate loan there? I mean, do, you know, who's who's going to pay down something essentially that 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 they could get an investment rate of return on and leave high interest rate debt going? Um, you know, but but what you're saying is uh, to, to make sure I understand it is that the refinance process technically saves the club 80 million pounds in interest rate, but it is slightly different than if they just injected the 80 million pounds into the club as far as financial fair play and the ability to to use on players is concerned. Correct. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, the other issue is, is as far as the debt is concerned, debt at some point potentially can be repaid, whereas with equity, uh, you know, un- unless they are, some form of redeemable share, you, you're you're not going to be able to call upon the club at a point in the future. So the better example then would have been, instead of refinancing the loan, if they had left the loan as it was and made an eighty million pound interest free loan and trumpeted it on every, you know, every headline saying we're we're injecting, you know, and put that in their their annual report and say, you know, we are getting ownership financing and an interest free loan 
not expected to ever be paid back of 80 million pounds, but just left the bad loan. Let's call them the, let's call it the bad loan, the bank loan, uh, or the, the bondholders loan. And I'm calling it bad because clearly they could do something to make it better mm-hmm. and they wouldn't in order to do this. I mean, that, that it's, it's just odd that it's looked at so differently. Um, you know, I yeah. think that they could and should, and hopefully would do a lot more to help our club become more competitive and, and regain the glory. But like you said at the beginning, they're, they're not in it for glory. They're not in it for vanity. Uh, uh, they're more in it for profit. <laughs> and, yeah. and it's just that simple. And, and uh, but I just, you know, I just think it's important to point out that they, that they could have gone about the same thing the same way and had the same impact, but it would have been looked at very, very differently by supporters. Yeah, well, I mean, a couple of weeks ago, I I, I was on the uh, the podcast of, of another club in. I'll be right back. North, in here. North London, whose whose name I've forgotten, uh, but, <laughs> I, but, but, but their owners have trumpeted the fact that they've put in, uh, yeah, up to one hundred and fifty million in the form of equity, and the fans think this is absolutely fantastic. And from a public relations perspective, it's. Uh, it's it's been an unparalleled success, especially as the club, as the fan base has subsequently seen the club spend that money um, on on player recruitment. So, you know, that, be a club that's with over a billion story. pounds in debt to external uh, banks right now. But uh, I, I, th- I think it's only about eight hundred million to external oh, okay. banks. Oh, really? Okay, all right. But yeah, I mean, it, it, it's debt that doesn't need. Rec- is it's debt that's not going to be repaid until the earliest, I think is 2039. So right. it's interest only it's interest only debt. They're paying an extra, you know, 15 to 20 million uh, a year in interest. And they they've they've got a they've got a facility which generates an extra 70 to 80 million in terms of revenue. It's I, I know you don't want to hear this. It's a really good decision that they've made. Yeah, no, they're uh, you know, the 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 difference between 2006 and starting the stadium then and 2019 or 18 or 17, whatever it was, and starting the, the stadium then, the difference in interest rates, the difference in revenues, the difference in in uh, economy, uh, economic factors. It's just so our stadium build ended up, in hindsight, being at, at such a poor time. I don't know that it could have waited another 12 years, but, mm. but it just, you know, a lot of things – didn't go the way that we would want them to go ideally. And it seems that that lots just stepped into the perfect timing to do exactly what they're doing. And even now with interest rates going up, that's not really going to affect them. Um, It it makes me sick, but um, so I was going to ask you about financial fair play, but I want to get to some user questions and then get you out by the hour uh, as I promised. So, um, so, you know, we, we have more to talk about in a hopeful part two uh, of all of this. Um, so let's go to some of those uh, questions. We have, well, we had a question from Lynn Simpson. Would you say that Levy is trying to do this as he has built houses around the stadium? The this that she was talking about, I believe, uh, was in in investing in infrastructure with with you know owner provided money. Uh, yes, they they have invested in infrastructure both at the stadium and, and the training facilities, the, the Spurs training facilities are uh, are pretty sensational. Um, in terms of housing around the stadium, I, th- I think that's less of an issue because uh, I don't know how familiar your, your, your colleagues on the show are, but the, 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 the borough of uh, in which Spurs is located is, is, the, uh, is the poorest in London. Um, so from a, from a real estate point of view, it, it's not really particularly lucrative to, to invest in, in real estate around there. Yeah. I didn't feel particularly safe the one time I was there. Um, but, uh, yeah, so it, it's an incredible stadium though. You have to, it is can't help but admit it. um, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say that I accidentally missed the toilet when I was there. Uh, but I'm not, <laughs> I'm not going to not say that either. So, uh, we'll just leave that up to people to, um tired gunnersaurus great great name um can the cronkies clear the stadium debt without impacting financial fair play is the stadium debt basically now all in the hands of the the interest the 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 owner financing refinance loan is that the last of the debt 
yeah, yeah. So, so they, they have effectively done that and, and it has zero impact upon financial fair play because financial fair play is, is based on a break-even model, which is revenue less costs. And the debt is, uh, is, is a balance sheet item rather than a, uh, a profit and loss item. So, so that, to be fair to the Cronkies, that, that's the approach that they appear to have taken. And, and if they were to simply cancel that loan, uh, and say, would that be done through just canceling the loan or through uh, through uh, changing it into equity? They, if, if I would imagine they would change it into equity because that gives them the well, they're they're already one hundred percent shareholders. Right. Um, it, it it's good from a financial fair play point of view because it would be seen as uh, part of the injection. You're allowed to put up to one hundred and uh, you have to put up to ninety million of of fresh equity over a three year rolling period, so they could kill two birds with one stone, reduce the debt and and contribute towards FFP. A a, a quick question from me, actually, because, you know, going back to to Swiss Ramble, this is something that a lot of people have looked at uh, over the, you know, over the years and said, um, let me try to make sure that we're not, here we go. Um, Never mind. Uh, These are, you know, over the last, over 10 years leading up to 2020, the owner investment in clubs, was you know the ones you'd expect Manchester City over a billion pounds, Chelsea continuing what they did the decade before. Um, then you see some names in there that might surprise some people until you really think about it. The last five years, this changes quite a bit because you know you see Liverpool, United, Spurs. These are all clubs that aren't doing a lot of inter, you know owner financing right mm-hmm. now because of what they've done in the past. Manchester City's not even that high up on the list because all of what they did was prior to financial fair play in the early part of that decade. So the tops now are Everton, Villa, Fulham, Chelsea, of course, still in there, Arsenal now with the refinance, and Brighton. So, you know, those aren't necessarily all teams that are, you know, in that city Chelsea mold of spending a ton of money making the team better. Money can be invested by ownership because they have to, correct? in order to avoid penalties for losing too much money and outspending their means, right? Um, yes. Sometimes you have to do that to to cover losses, which would otherwise result in an FFP penalty. And provided that money is, is injected in the form of equity, effectively that subsidizes your operational losses. That that broadly has been the Abramovich model um, when, when he acquired, since he acquired the club. He's, he's lost... Uh, in US terms, uh, 1.2 million a week for every week for 19 years uh, with his investment in Chelsea. But he still he managed to flip that when he sold the club, or, or, or rather, he would have flipped. Yeah, he yeah. would have made money had the proceeds of the sale gone to Abramovich. Um, we believe that they're not going to Abramovich, but that would involve believing the the uh, British Prime Minister, which is something which uh, everybody in this country. I'm hearing, I'm hearing today's been a rough day for him. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, to have 38 ministers resign in oh, a day. And, and he's saying, uh, there's not, uh, just, just, just one of those days, <laughs> which, is, which is quite spectacular. I have to ask this because of your status as a Brighton supporter. Now, he's using a, a, a – the seaside Mustafi is what people who claim to love Arsenal but actually hate Arsenal for profit uh, like to call Ben White. Um, I do not view him as being a seaside version of Shkodron Musafi. Uh, would you take him back on your club? What, essentially, what, what, what were your thoughts on Ben White and losing him uh, to another club? Um, I, I think it was a fantastic bit of business for, for Brighton. I think it was a fantastic bit of business for Ben White. I mean, he was our, our third best centre-half uh, in season 2021, but he was also our youngest centre half. Uh, he's uh, he is a stylish player. He's quite a laid back player. He can be bullied, uh, I think, by some others. Uh, would we take him back? Yeah, we'd, we'd take him back in a heartbeat. But would he be would he be willing to take a seventy thousand pound a week pay cut? Yeah. No, he wouldn't. So it, it ain't going to happen. Yeah, that would you take a person back thing is is rarely a relevant question. It's more just you know. How much do yeah. you miss them? And, and, you know, but I mean, that deal, that could be a good deal for both, for all three parties involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, there's, it, it isn't always a win loss, you know, zero sum situation, I think. But so, 
he's, he's um, still only he's only in 24 you know he's, yeah. he's he's got he's got the scope to improve uh, he is a natural athlete um it, it now comes down to how much does he want to be the best ben white that he can be uh, and he can stay at arsenal for a few years pick up a large sum of money every year um put in some half decent performances or he can become obsessive the complete defender you know effectively do what virgil van dyke has done at at liverpool you know yeah. just uh complete focus on on his professional career and that that's that's not an easy decision for a young man to make uh you know you're, you're surrounded by wealth you're surrounded by attention um and, and i'm not saying he's, he's he's unprofessional because he was he was always very professional for us we we, we never had a relationship with ben white because he uh he was at loan at uh yeah at peterborough he was at loan at leeds he, he played for brighton for one season uh, and that in, and during that one season, we, we never got to see him because uh, the all all the matches were taking place right, behind yeah. closed doors. That's that's true. Yeah, and and you know he's going to have to make that decision about who he wants to be because there's competition headed his way in the form of William Saliba, uh, and his his starting spot is not guaranteed as it uh, as it was last season. So we have one great question that I want to ask you, and we'll end it there. Um, and uh, it, it's it's. Fantastic. From Shane Lowe. How do we define a good owner of a football club if there conceptually is such a thing? What criteria should we use to differentiate strong ownership from weak ownership? Is it in the mind of the beholder or is what is your opinion on that? Um, in my view, the, the best ownership model is that of a benevolent dictator, uh, somebody who's capable of making decisions, uh, somebody who's capable of making decisions, ideally, through a uh, through a professional lens, takes the emotion away um, when when they are involved in the strategic and operational decision making of the football club, puts puts the emotion back in when they go to watch the team play. Um, so if they, they go to watch the team play, well, yeah, again, a, a benevolent. Yeah, I I would say that the benevolent dictator is somebody who is a, ideally it's a fan who's also yeah. really smart. Now, you know, is, is there an element of confirmation bias in what I've just said? Because I'm effectively defining Tony Bloom and his £400 million that he's put into the club. But what does he do? He uses, uh, he uses uh, business analytics. He uses uh, sports science uh, to make what is a, a very modest football club punch above its weight. Um, and uh, I, I think there are uh, other owners who... Who have tried to do similar? Uh, yeah, Matthew Benham at, at Brentford, who's taken them to to the Premier League, um, and, and we do see examples of that uh, elsewhere. Uh, I think if you've got that emotional connection to the club from from a historical perspective, it it, it can be beneficial. Well, with that, I have registered my um, my interest in purchasing the club from Stan Kroenke. I'm looking for fellow investors. We only we only have like twelve thousand five hundred and fifty five dollars in the in the in the purchase pool right now. Oh, sorry, that's that's the amount we've raised so far on Gunners versus Cancer this year. There is no connection between those two things. I just want to make that clear. Um, speaking of Gunners versus Cancer, Kieran, we run a charity called Gunners versus Cancer, supporting the Leukemia Lymphoma Society, and it's one of these things that kind of gets us away from talking about Cronky and results and gets us as a as a fan base together, doing great things together. And uh, I was thrilled on the last show that we did on Friday night to give away, finally, the 1989 shirt signed by John Lukic, Lee Dixon, uh, Alan Smith, and Michael Thomas. Wow. And it, it went to a lucky winner in uh, in Coventry named Robert Prestige. I uh, hope I'm pronouncing that right. But uh, it, it, it felt a little... A little good and a little sad sending that mm. off yesterday, but he should have that in the next week or two. And I'm interested in seeing what he does with it. But uh, but our next things are already in place. We, uh, we're we doing a FIFA tournament. Anyone who is uh, a gamer can go to gvcxbox.com or gvcplaystation.com, uh, register for the tournament that starts in about two weeks, three weeks, and, uh, and learn more about it. And then, of course, donate a registration fee at goonersvcancer.com where you can get information about everything that we're doing. And, you know, I'm just never, I never cease being amazed by the generosity and the, 
the family of of Arsenal supporters. It's so much di- so different than what you actually see on social media. Yes, um, it's so, social media is probably well. That's absolutely fantastic, and, and uh, I, I wish you all the well. And uh, and those that enter the competition, just just enjoy it. Yeah, absolutely. And and uh, and lastly, but not leastly, Karen. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, it's been educational, enjoyable, fun, everything I'd hoped it would be. I hope that we can do it again sometime um, in the in the near future. I might I might have a, a an opportunity to discuss with you in a, in a couple of weeks. But uh, tell us where we can find you, and 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 please confirm with me that I have all this information right about the the website, the the fantastic podcast, and your Twitter handle. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm uh, I'm, I'm Kieran Maguire uh, on on uh, on Twitter. I'm I'm, I'm not uh, I'm, I'm not smart enough to realise that a a a, a, mystic, a mystical main name such as Swiss Ramble was is actually far more romantic. Um, so so people, I, I, people have called me Jewish Ramble, and and I've, I'm thinking of starting a new. You know, it 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 doesn't flow quite as well, but you know, <laughs> sorry. That's fantastic, um, and I, I do a podcast twice a week with uh, with, with Kevin, who is a is a, is a well known comedian. He, uh, when when I first pitched to him, which was over Twitter, um, he he was too polite to say, "Who is this idiot?" Uh, there's what what is football finance, um, and we've done. 267 shows we've had more than 5 million downloads i think we're moving towards 6 million now um, and somehow we we we've managed to find ourselves a a little place in uh, in in the podcast uh, universe with 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 an incredibly loyal fan base absolutely i mean people who are interested in football finance are generally very interested in football finance yes. it's not like yes, this thing thing and um, you know if 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 the show, if the show that you're doing, if the, if, if coming on this today, if, if my discussions about finance, I, I just, I, I would like people to be informed and not maybe a little less emotional all the time at the expense of rationality. That's my, that's my kind of thing. It, it, the emotion should be there. I've been feeling it for, for decades. It's what football is all about, but there are times to try to at least have a rational view towards things. Maybe I'm completely off base in that, but I think uh, people like yourself and and like Swiss uh, are are absolutely and, and Giant Gunner is a friend of uh, of ours as well who who's in finance here in uh, New York in the New York area. That's that's fantastic. Uh, just adding a lot to the fan base and to to the general football lore. So uh, everyone in the chat has said thank you. Uh, appreciate it. Thank you to Kieran uh, for joining us and to everybody that was in the chat. Please leave a 